0: Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading will be from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22 and ending in verse 32. God's word reads, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to be put on the new self, created to be like God, in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only... What is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: I love listening to our young people read scripture. (laughs) Thank you for that reading. uh, Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful that you have brought us to this place at this moment, and that you are blessing us not only with uh, the, the fellowship and the rubbing shoulders with each other as we praise you with this church family, but you've brought us into your presence, and when we come into your presence, Father, we're awed and we're overcome and we're overwhelmed with all of the great things that, that have not just been done in this moment, but in our past and all of the things that l- we look forward to in our present. You are beautiful beyond our ability to describe you. You are lovely and loving in ways that are deeper than our emotional life can capture. You are merciful to us, and we give you praise because of your grace and because of your self-control and because of your patience with us and because you bless us, Father, in order to draw us to a place where our eyes are open and our our eyes are filled with, with your beauty and holiness and righteousness. So, Father, as we study this passage that Adrian has just read for us, we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus that you will grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, for we not only need to be changed, but we choose to be changed and transformed and renovated into the likeness of your Son Jesus to be your ambassadors and your representatives on this planet that you created. We're grateful that your kingdom is in us. And we pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said. We are going to be looking again at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 22, going to verse 32, primarily verse 30 today. And this series on discipleship we're calling Game Changers. This, this passage in Ephesians 4 is about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means that there is this old self that is uh, eradicated. It, it's like taking off old clothing to use the, Paul, the, the Pauline language. It's about putting on a new self, which means that it's not about merely developing new habits, uh, even though there are new habits that are formed. It's not living this restrained life where there are things that we we force ourselves not to do and there are things that we force ourselves to do even though there is a a struggle in becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's not plugging in one uh, set of truths that help form and define and explain reality in light of another one that we used to have. Like I, I used to think Brussels sprouts were awful, now I think they're great. That's not what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means that that God is is changing you and renovating you and rejuvenating that that God-likeness that is in you from the very beginning of creation that has been marred by fallenness. God is doing a work in you so that it's not just these change of behaviors, but it's a change of character. It's a change of who you are in your soul and in your heart and in your mind and your body begins to betray it in the way that you live. If the church, if a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is an alternate uh, view of life, then a disciple of Jesus demonstrates what that life looks like. There's a story. I've I've told you this story before. There's a story that's told by Soren Kierkegaard. It was a, a uh, 19th century existentialist and a philosopher and a theologian who became a little bit dismayed at the, the, the shallowness and the superficial, superficial nature of the Christian faith as, as it was lived in this native country of, of Denmark. And in one of his books, he tells this story about a duck city. It was populated by ducks. There was a, a duck hospital, duck schools, duck churches, duck H-E-Bs. There were duck... duck uh, gr- uh, uh pharmacies uh, there were duck parks there there were duck universities and uh one day this one sunday all of the ducks went to the duck church and the duck preacher got up and said all our lives we've been told that ducks walk and and ducks swim but i'm here to tell you that ducks have wings and not only do they have wings, but they have wings that work. Ducks have wings, and ducks can fly. And ducks can soar. And ducks can live above the planet Earth. And ducks can 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 live a soaring kind of a life. And all the ducks said, Amen. And then they waddled home. That's why we as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth and people who are serious about not only how Christ is formed in us, but how that Christ formed in us is communicated not only to each other and encouraging each other to continue that trajectory of discipleship, but also in the way that we live and do our good works, the words that we speak in this community, that when the church is 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 vibrant and dynamic in being the church. It becomes a blessing to the community, and that's why we need to talk about the Holy Spirit, and that's one of the things that uh, that is talked about in this passage out of Ephesians four. The problem is is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and especially in our own uh, you know within the history of churches of Christ, we've really struggled with it. I remember talking to an older brother that I, I love like myself. He has gone to be with the Lord, and we were, it was a, an older gentleman that in the early years of, of my ministry, it was actually before we were able to even get onto the mission field. It was that many years ago, that many decades ago. He and I had this discussion about the Spirit, and he said, Mark, I know that the Spirit has to do a lot of things, but I just can't understand it. And so for me, I just, the only thing I say is that somehow the Spirit helps us get the Bible. And so that, would, to me, that was always kind of a, a, a capsule of the kind of theology we had about the Holy Spirit. That to, to, to put it in, in, in the form of the Trinity, God the Father came one day and created the heavens and the earth, and then He went away. And then Jesus, God the Son, came and died for everyone all of the people that lived uh, on the creation and then he went away and then the holy spirit came and he wrote a book and then he went away now i believe as as deeply and as profoundly as anyone that that the god's spirit inspired men to to write down the truth in such a way that we can get our mind around it and that we have were challenged to think deeply about some passages that are difficult to understand and even when we get to the understanding maybe of what they're talking about to live it out in this life but I believe that the Spirit is more than that. One of the great truths of our experience in baptism is that we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live in us. One of our passages that we teach people when they are coming to faith in christ and how when they begin to believe the gospel how they respond in faith to the good news is acts chapter 2 verse 38 people are cut to the heart knowing that they have within them not only the ability but even the rationale to kill the son of god and peter has driven that Rapier right into their heart, and they are cut in the heart and they are broken-hearted and they can't believe what they have become. We are the people of God, they are thinking, and yet we killed the Son of God. We were given the scriptures, we were supposed to recognize them, and we didn't. What do we have to do to get out of this mess? And Peter says in verse 38 of Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, "You repent." And you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have to think about the Holy Spirit and we have to pray about the teaching, uh, the the doctrine that comes to us in the Scripture, in the Word of God about, about the Holy Spirit. Because if we do not then when we are baptized, we're like this upside-down cup that you stick it in the sink, and then you lift it up, and it comes out, and it's been baptized, but it hasn't been filled up. In baptism, a human comes out of the water, and life with the Holy Spirit is a reality until the day that they see God face-to-face. It means that a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is supposed to live a filled up life. Now one of the things that Paul writes a lot about in this letter of Ephesians that we we're looking at is he writes a lot about the Holy Spirit. And one of the most interesting things that he says about the Spirit is found in the verse we're going to focus on this morning. It's verse 30. He says, and do not... What's that word? Let's say it louder so that everybody knows it. Grieve. Grieve. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. say I can't say everything. Let me say three things this morning. The first is that the Holy Spirit of God, God the Spirit, can be grieved. It's an interesting thing, right? Interesting thing to learn about the Holy Spirit. One of the first things I think we should remind ourselves of is that the Holy Spirit is a being. As a being, the Spirit can be grieved. As a being, the Spirit, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29, the Spirit of God can be insulted. In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit, on the first day of the week, when everybody in the church, that leadership group in the church of Antioch is fasting and they're praying, the Holy Spirit speaks to them about setting aside Saul and Barnabas for this trip he's going to send them on for the sake of the gospel. All that is to say that the Holy Spirit is not a substance like gasoline. You know, when it comes to gasoline, I take my pickup up to the Valero station, and I know that it takes about 27 gallons to fill that 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 truck up. And a lot of times, you know, we think of the Holy Spirit that way. The, the Spirit is not a substance. I mean, I... I don't know of a time in my life, I've been around gasoline all of my life, I don't know of a single time that I've insulted gasoline. And I don't know if I've ever grieved gasoline. I know that gasoline prices have grieved me. But I think I would faint in the middle of that Valero parking lot if gasoline ever spoke to me. It's not a, a, a substance like the force from Star Wars. The Spirit, according to Scripture is a being who comes into your life. And one of the really other interesting things that Paul says about the Spirit is in the next chapter, in chapter 5, where he says, I don't want you to get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead to be filled with the Spirit. What do you mean, Paul? Well, A couple of things have been suggested over the years through the commentators and different people speaking on the subject. One is is that maybe Paul is talking about the very thing that people sometimes go to alcohol to find. You don't need to go there anymore. You you can find it in the gospel. And, and, And maybe that's what he's talking about, but probably not. Or it might be that when you think about wine and the filling of the Spirit, what day in the Bible do you think about? Pentecost. And when those apostles were filled with the Spirit, what did the people surrounding and hearing them speaking the gospel in all of these different tongues, what did they say it reminded them of? Of people that maybe were a little drunk on wine. And Peter says, absolutely not the thing that's happening. I once heard uh, a, a guy say that what Paul is illustrating here is how a human being can be grabbed. How something can get a hold of a human being. Now, becoming drunk, which is a, a terrible thing in the eyes of God, becoming drunk, is, is not necessarily a question of amount. Now, obviously, part of that is a moot point. I mean, at some point you drink enough alcohol that you become inebriated, but what happens and, and you know uh, certain people need certain amounts and more than others to become inebriated but the point is is that it's really not about the amount of alcohol you drink but the fact that alcohol has gotten a hold of you and and that's what inebriation really is it you you've become drunk because alcohol has come to dominate you and paul i think is telling the church Listen, you're not to be dominated by alcohol. But you're to be gripped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to have that kind of domination. Take over your life the way that sometimes alcohol can. The Spirit is grieved then when it's not wanted. I mean, who wants to go to a party where they're they're not invited, right? Right? Who wants to go to the company picnic when nobody wants them there? And very much like a human being, when we feel a loss, we grieve. The same with the Holy Spirit. Humans grieve where there is a loss. and When we, when we talk about grief outside of this, when we talk about the grief of a death or some kind of loss, grief is not so much about where they are, but where they aren't. Right? And, and when the Holy Spirit grieves... The Holy Spirit grieves when when he is ignored, when he doesn't come to reside in the heart of a disciple of Jesus and have sway over their life. The Holy Spirit of God is grieved when they're not welcomed. The Holy Spirit of God is grieved when he is not acknowledged, which means that you're not cooperating. That you're not, Galatians chapter 5, walking in step with that Spirit that is wanting you to blossom fruit where you never even knew you had buds. And why the Holy Spirit grieves when it's not wanted is because, number two, the Holy Spirit wants to bring light. wants, Wants to bring bright light into our lives. The work of the Spirit of God is to bring truth and greatness and and uh, the the, the beauty and the majesty of the Christ to the point of visibility in the life of a disciple. And you think about floodlights. You know, it, it doesn't matter how dark it is on the outside of that building. When those floodlights are lighting that building up, it doesn't matter how, in fact, the darker it gets, the more clearly you see the building in those lights. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Jesus says that the Spirit will act among believers like a floodlight. John 16, verse 8. It says, when He comes, He'll expose the error of the godless world's views of sin and righteousness and judgment. For disciples of Jesus, this is not just a cognitive exercise. It's not just collecting data. It's the data about the Spirit becoming our experience on a daily basis. And that's why, you'll remember in Ephesians chapter 3, when Paul is talking about this great love that Christ has for human beings. That it is a love that is high and deep and wide and long. And that there's no way that a human mind can really understand something that is beyond knowledge unless he has what? The Holy Spirit of God helping him with that experience. He says, verse 17... I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that you might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, to get a hold of it. To grasp. You know, when you, gra- when you hold something, they can take it right out of your hand. But when you grasp it, they got to fight you to steal it from you, right? You get a hold of this, how wide, how long, how, how high, how deep is the love of Christ And to know this love that what, say it, surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And where does that power come from to know and experience what is beyond us? He says in verse 16, it's the Spirit working in your inner being as a gift. In your inner being you begin to experience and to sense the sweetness of God in Christ, the sweetness of the gospel. You know, there there are times when, when, spiritually speaking, you feel like you're in a sort of this heavenly courtroom, right? A spiritual courtroom. And there's an accuser there, and that accuser is reminding the court. And you know how they do this. You know, you've, you've got the prosecution and the prosecution is trying to make a case. And the way that they make the case is just to kind of avalanche the judge and avalanche the jury with all kinds of evidence and instances and proof that this is the heart and not just the heart, but the reality of the person that's sitting over here in the defense docket. And so they get up and they begin to talk about in this, this, this heavenly courtroom scene, they begin to speak and to enumerate and list Every empty word of gossip you've ever said in your entire life. Every time you've lied. Every time you've gotten angry angry, and that anger spilled over into some kind of violence, spiritually speaking or verbally speaking and even physically speaking, that accuser begins to stand up in front of the judge and, 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 and to talk about all of the immoral thoughts that you've ever, ever, ever had. And then when it looks like it's darkest, here comes the Holy Spirit, the star witness for the defense It looks like you're going to lose everything, that you're no longer going to be a child of God. And just as it looks grim and it looks dark, there's this light that beams in as the Holy Spirit comes in as the star witness. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, this is one of the things that the Spirit does and one of the things you have to rely on the Spirit as a disciple of Jesus in a fallen world That you depend on the Spirit to do for you on a day-to-day basis. He says, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sunset, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That spirit comes into your life and reminds you that regardless of all of the other voices that may be speaking into your ear and whispering that because of this or that or all of these things and the accuser is saying you don't deserve to be a son. You don't deserve to be a daughter. You don't deserve to be a child of God. You don't deserve the grace. The spirit comes up and says you are a child of God. last thing we'll say about the Holy Spirit is that He moves us toward what Christ is. On the positive side of it, one of the most famous passages on the work of the Spirit is Galatians chapter 5. When we walk with the Spirit, which means that we've invited the Spirit to walk with us because the Spirit has invited us to walk with Him. And that we're cooperating and that every day there is this life, this rubbing of shoulders. There is this, this action that takes place in our life where we are walking with God's Spirit. It, it, we're in agreement with the Spirit. We're in cooperation with the Spirit. And as that happens on a daily basis, our life begins to change. And one of the reasons it changes is because we've decided, I'm not going to live for myself. What is it that Paul says in Galatians chapter 2? I've been crucified with... Christ no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And as we cooperate with that truth and the Spirit that makes it so and we choose, we choose, we choose, church, to live accordingly, all of a sudden there are these things that develop in life, like love. You know what? Not one single time are you just going to boom, start loving people unless you decide that that is what you're going to do. You want to grow in love? Choose to love somebody that's unlovely by God's Spirit in the way that Jesus did it. Or to have joy or peace. I mean, joy is not a feeling. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is is going to Disneyland joy is a state of being because of what it is that god has done for you and is doing for you and will do for you that is you're being reminded on a daily basis by the spirit as a truth there's forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness there's self-control i mean the spirit wants the spirit desires to make you a beauty But there's a negative side to this as well. And it's not negative in the sense that... Well, I'll read the scripture to you. James chapter 4, verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? It's a difficult verse to understand, granted. But here's what I think the verse is about. I think this is the experience we have all had when we know that we have done something... That is against the will of God. We know we're forgiven. But we just feel awful. You ever have that feeling? I mean we know that we stand in grace. Romans chapter 5. That we've been justified not by what we've done. But we've been justified by faith. In what it is that Christ has accomplished. That God has accomplished in Christ on the cross. Death, burial and resurrection. But we just feel awful. Because we know that we have acted outside of what it means to be a disciple, somebody that's emulating the life of Jesus. We haven't loved someone the, the way we should have loved them, or we thought about somebody in a way that we shouldn't have thought about them. And it just that it. And I think what James is saying is that it's God's spirit inside of us that somehow is just makes us feel awful, even though we know we're saved. We know that we've, we've done something that is not spiritually healthy for us or for anyone else. In a manner of speaking, the Holy Spirit becomes the best friend of the drug addict in the way that the best friend of a drug addict loves the drug addict and tries to keep the drug addict from killing himself. And that's why, one of the reasons why God has put His Spirit in you, is to help you to understand that that transformation, that renovation, that takes place in your life, but also to help you in understanding that that you are so precious that when you step outside of, of of that that kingdom, when you when when you do something that is is blatantly against the will of God, that you don't develop a taste for it. I think one of the most um, I think one of the hardest things to do in the world is to change. But the older I get, the more I think that people who do change for the better, and especially those that do so inside the kingdom of God, that people who are able to change and become everything that God intended for them to be are are some of the most heroic people we can ever know in this life. And we believe... By God's grace and by God's love and His patience with us and His forgiveness of our sins and establishing us in a relationship where we're called His children and by giving us His Holy Spirit to come and to dominate our lives that God is saying, you can change. It's the gospel at the center of being lost, according to the gospel. At the center of being lost is not your destination. It's not where you're going. That's a byproduct. At the center of being lost is who you are. And you can change. You can change and you can move towards a life of love and peace and beauty and goodness and self-control because of the love of God. And we want to give you an opportunity to make those changes this morning in some way if, if the gospel becomes something that you believe with all of your heart, that you believe that, that this is your destiny, your destination to be in the presence of God with His people, beginning today and learning to live in the presence of God and all that that means for the rest of your life and then all through eternity, then what we want to do this morning is give you an opportunity to make that true. And some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. They would love to talk to you about how you can make that so in your life today. And for the rest of us, especially those of us who, are, who have a confirmation every day that we're children of God, that every day we're forgiven of our sin, that every day God is working on us to, to polish us and to love us and to make us a beauty and, and to change us and to renovate us and to help us to blossom in, with, with a fruit that is just mind-boggling and, 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 and eye-opening in the world. Why do you say we just, we just praise Him? Let's praise Him for that. And let's stand and sing and do it right now.
0: Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, would He?